0: Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, I'm here in Jerusalem. I'm in a hotel just outside the Jaffa Gate. I can't believe it. What an exciting time to be here again. We have been traveling up and down over the country, and we were here during the elections it is a very interesting time in the state of Israel with a new right-wing religious government coming into play, and uh, looks like Prime Minister like Benjamin Netanyahu will take office.
1: It certainly is a unique time, Jimmy, and it's very interesting that you are there, uh, getting a firsthand report from those on the ground. We also have our broadcast partners that we're going to talk about these elections, so we're going to cover them extensively. But so many different things happening, it's important politically and prophetically.
0: It sure is, Rick. You always say the political stage sets the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Well, let's get started today with David Dolan. Dave Dolan joins us. He's
1: our normal guest for our Middle East News Update, and particularly in our Middle East News Update, we focus on Israel, all of the Middle East as well, but this week we have plenty to talk about when we talk about Israel. So, Dave, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be
2: with you again, Rick.
1: Well, Dave, the Israeli elections, we had a pre-election program last week. Now we have the post-election program. Tell us what happened. Well, basically,
2: uh, Bibi Netanyahu will be prime minister, no doubt about it. Uh, Last week, we mentioned the opinion survey showed his uh, bloc, that's his own Likud party and three um, religious parties that uh, support him taking 60 to 61 seats. In the end, they got 64 seats. But the big, big news, of course, was the religious Zionism bloc. That's an alliance of three political parties on the right. They're national religious parties, meaning they're Orthodox Jews. They, The men wear kipot uh, head coverings and attend synagogue, etc. So the right wing bloc is very strong. Of course, Netanyahu will be given the mandate, no doubt, to form a government by President Herzog. And these other three parties have already pledged allegiance to him. But because they are so much stronger than anybody expected just a few months ago, their bargaining power with Netanyahu as they set up a coalition is going to be substantial. In fact, the Likud will be the minority, the 31 seats less than the three parties combined seats together. So um, they have some pretty strong demands, and particularly the Religious Zionism Party, which uh, has two leaders. Itamar Ben-Gavir is the actual popular leader, although he's number two on the list, 46 years old. Basilel Shmotrik will be part of that. He's the official leader. He wants to be justice minister. Uh, Ben-Gavir wants to be, he said, either a senior minister, and it's thought that he'll take the public security ministry, which is in charge of the police and uh, relations with the army. And he's pretty controversial, Rick, as we mentioned last week, he was a strong supporter of the late Rabbi Kahane, right-wing rabbi. He became well-known in Israel uh, just before the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, when uh, he and some others uh, stole the uh, hood ornament from the prime minister's car, And he was seen on TV holding it, and he said, we got this, we got this, next we're going after the prime minister himself. And, of course, he was shot dead not by Ben Gavir, but uh, by someone that was associated with him. So he's very controversial, and whether he will take that ministry or not, we'll have to see. But Netanyahu does have one other option Rick, if he weren't to keep Ben gavir in, there's speculation he won't be long serving because of his positions. Uh, the Arabs hate him. He's very strongly and his party against the Reform Jewish movement. Uh, there's three parties in that block. One's an anti-LGBT party, so there's going to be a lot of uh, anti, uh, a lot of opposition to the new government from the left and the center for sure. But the other option is to take Benny Gantz in. And again, he has said he won't serve with Netanyahu, but he's done so in the past. So we'll just see. But it looks like a solid right-wing government of these three religious parties and the Likud will be formed probably fairly quickly. And then we'll see where it goes after that.
1: Well, David, it certainly seems like Israeli politics could be a game of three D chess at times. There's so many moving parts and so many different angles. But as you said, this is the story of this election, aside from the fact that former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is coming back into power is the rise of this man Ben Gavir. Like now what kind of impact will he have? And and without going into Kind of detail on this subject. I feel like the terms right, far right, far right extremists are overused nowadays when putting labels on certain groups. And if you want to disparage them, you call them far right or far left or you know extremists. But that being said. Uh, When the rubber meets the road, this new political, new, uh, he's not new, he's been around for a little while, but this seems like it was his coming-of-age party here as he becomes a very powerful political force here. What is that going to mean pragmatically when it comes to governing in Israel?
2: Well, Rick, first off, he has moderated his positions considerably over the past few years. He was not allowed to run the first time he tried because he had lost a case where, uh, where he was accused of being a racist for calling for the expulsion of all Israeli Arabs. Well, he's dropped that position. He actually advertised, campaigned some in the Arab sector. He said, I'm for all the Arabs, just not Arab terrorists anybody who wants to harm the state, but he still wants to see the head of one of the Arab parties, the Hadash or the Communist Party, expelled from the country for some of the anti-Israel statements that he's made. So, um, you know, he is moderated considerably, but he has a lot of support, especially in Judea and Samaria. Uh, His party took a lot of votes there. Again, it's a combination of three parties, really, and the second one, the Smotric Uh, wing, as it were, is a little bit more moderate anyway. He will probably become the new justice minister. And his position is to curb the Israeli Supreme Court, that it's become too left wing, that it's making uh, similar arguments to the United States. So we can just put it that way. That would help uh, the prime minister, Netanyahu, because he still has these four uh, cases, court cases against him. And uh, he would make some reforms he says, that would eliminate some of those charges against him. But Ben-Gavir, his name is connected to Geber, which is uh, the Hebrew for man. And if you say, hey, there's a dude, you say, he's a Gever. So his <laughs> name resonates with kind of the males. Uh, his parents, interestingly enough, his uh, father is of Iraqi Jewish Background: His mother of Kurdish Jewish background, so he's not an Ashkenazi Jew from Europe, and that makes him real popular amongst that segment of the population. Uh, he's a rising star, no question about it. It's, I think, really a matter of what he would do as as basically police minister, security minister, what he would do. And uh, there are some in the police and the military that are uh, nervous about him having that role. And again, like I said, Netanyahu does have another option later on, and that is to bring in the current defense minister, to bring him back as defense minister. He would probably do that, Rick, if there is a war with Iran. We have reports this week that Iran is stepping up preparations for attacks in the region, and the rioting continues there inside the country, so that might be an excuse to broaden his government. That would make the Americans and other allies of Israel happy because many of them feel this is too much to the right, uh, maybe not far right, because the Likud is still the dominant force, and it's the largest party in Israel, and it's got all sorts of people in it. So it's not correct to call it a far right. Right government, but it has this one party in it that is pretty, pretty much on that side. Of course, as, as we've mentioned, Ben Gvir also uh, wants to see a temple rebuild up on the Temple Mount, mm. and in the meantime, he wants to see more freedom for um, Jews to pray up there and other things. So as police minister, he would have a great deal to say about that. So it's going to be colorful. It's going to be interesting. And Bebe is back for the fourth time. He's broken all records in doing that. And uh, nobody has served more than two times before. So it's amazing, really. And we'll see what he does.
1: Final question. You mentioned that Ben Gavir is potentially going to be the top policeman in the country. That would be the ministry post that he's going to take. What does that mean for a Palestinian issue, a terrorism inside of Israel? What do you foresee there?
2: Well, again, he's been stressing that he is not against the Arabs, that he no longer believes in expelling all of the Arabs of Israel, et cetera. that those that are loyal citizens and not doing violent acts uh, are fine, so that's going to be sort of his uh, stand. But he lives in Kiryat Arba, right next to Hebron. By the way, a 13-year-old Jewish girl was shot and critically wounded Thursday night there. And uh, earlier in the day, there was a stabbing of an Israeli policeman at the base of the Temple Mount, and uh, two others shot at him, and he was killed. So you know the violence continues, but very strongly, he and his party and Shas. And the United Torah Judaism Party even, but especially many in the Likud, are very strongly against a Palestinian state. There's no chance that there'll be any sort of talks on that scale now, not that there was anyway. But it will give Hamas a greater excuse to fight against Israel. It will give Iran uh, more of an excuse to attack Israel. So we can, we can uh, expect that Israel's enemies will utilize this. And Israel's friends are nervous, but again, uh, if there is a war, I think Netanyahu would bring in Benny Gantz back in and that he would go in. And that would be more appealing to the nations, at least, and more appealing to Israeli Arabs as well.
1: Well, David, so much going on right now in Israel with these elections. And now as Netanyahu gets ready to form his government, there's going to be a lot of things taking place in the next few weeks that we'll need to keep an eye on, and we trust that you'll do that with us. Thank you so much for doing that now and in the future. I'm glad to do it, Rick. God bless.
0: Thank you, Dave. That's a great report. Being in Jerusalem right now really is. You get to see everything that's going on and hear all the political talk. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Ken Timmerman will give us a geopolitical update right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
3: Kramer with Mission Network News. It's a dangerous time to claim the name of Christ. According to the World Evangelical Alliance, one in seven Christians worldwide lives in a place where they face persecution for following Jesus. You can pray for millions who share our faith but not our freedom this Sunday. November sixth is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Get prayer guides from the Voice of the Martyrs USA in the full story at our website. And when children experience trauma, it doesn't just go away. It stays with them, shaping who they become as adults. The Sat Seven Kids show Why Is That was created to address trauma both from a psychological perspective and through the story of Jesus. Joe Willie says a grandfather figure participates in games and activities with kids on the show, and he tells them that God is always with them. Childhood trauma doesn't just happen in the Middle East and North Africa, so pray kids around the world would encounter Jesus' love. Mission Network News is a service of one way ministries on Ruth Kramer.
4: Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenarios set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8 Prophecy 8. That's 877 674 3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets.
1: Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, this is our second segment, and we're going to be looking at geopolitical issues taking place around the world. And to do that, we have our good friend, Ken Timmerman. He could be found on KenTimmerman.com. You can read about his stories that he's got going on, his books that he's written. Ken, thank you for joining us today.
5: Uh, Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's always a pleasure.
1: Ken we'll start off our geopolitical tour of the world by going to Iran. And while the protests continue to rage on, we've been reporting on those every week now, it looks like Iran is looking for assistance from Russia.
5: Rick, what's happened is that President Zelensky in the Ukraine is now warning that the Russians are turning to Iran for missiles, for drones. We've seen those drones on the battlefield. And the Iranians, in exchange, don't just want money, but they want nuclear technology, nuclear Mm. cooperation. Now, this is not just a far-fetched rumor. Uh, These talks between Russia and Iran on nuclear cooperation go back decades. In fact, I can recall reporting on the summit between Bill Clinton and Boris Yeltsin in 1995 in Moscow when Clinton came away from that saying, we've just scored a huge victory because I got Yeltsin to walk back a military nuclear cooperation agreement with Iran. Now, what does a military nuclear cooperation agreement mean? Well, it means nuclear weapons. Mm. (laughs) And so this goes back a long ways and it is not a surprising allegation. As of yet, we do not have hard evidence to back up ongoing Russian nuclear weapons cooperation, or any kind of nuclear cooperation with Iran outside of the one power reactor that they have in Bushir. Uh, But this is something to keep an eye on.
1: Well, can we go from a country that is looking to acquire nuclear weapons to one that already has quite a few of them, and that's Russia. And there are reports out this week that their military leadership was looking at ways of when and how they could use nuclear weapons in Ukraine.
5: Former President Medvedev uh, is the chairman of Russia's National Security Council, and he chaired a meeting this week where this was discussed. And he said semi-publicly, I mean, this was an authorized leak as far as I can determine, that should Ukraine seek to retake territories that Russia has annexed, This would put Russia's territorial integrity at risk, and Russia's national security doctrine justifies the use of tactical nuclear weapons in such a case. Now, Rick, you and I talked about this several weeks ago, and we spoke about this when Putin actually announced the annexation of those provinces in eastern Ukraine. And I mentioned this at the time because this was well known uh, about Russia's national security doctrine, that they would justify nuclear weapons in the event their territorial integrity was threatened. And I said, that's what he's trying to set up in Ukraine. Today, we are now seeing the confirmation of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago.
1: Well, Ken, here's what's so alarming to the way that I would look at this situation. We look at Russia and Iran becoming closer in ties, and Iran is trying to gain a nuclear weapon. If they were to gain that nuclear weapon, I mean, Russia is thinking about using and potentially using a nuclear weapon in Ukraine. Uh, you would almost certainly think that if Iran gained a nuclear weapon, they would use one against Israel, would they not?
5: The fact that the Russians are contemplating using a nuclear weapon, that they're trying to set up the circumstances that would justify nuclear first use uh, is something that would also uh, justify their transfer of nuclear weapons uh, technologies to Iran, an ally of theirs in the Middle East. So, yes, the threat of Russian uh, nuclear cooperation with Iran is uh, very real, and the risks that Iran would then use a small nuclear arsenal, not just a one-off weapon, but a small nuclear arsenal as blackmail against Israel or as an actual weapon against Israel, is also significant.
1: Again, the issues you're discussing are seem to me of the gravest concern that there could be. Amidst that, uh, I saw a story on Friday, or actually Thursday night, Uh, President Biden on a campaign stop vowed to free Iran. How does that play into this?
5: Rick, that was one of the bizarre comments that Biden Mm. made in this uh, in these remarks in San Diego at MiraCosta College. He also called Republicans a threat to democracy in America and essentially called for everybody who's a member of the Republican Party to be locked up as un-American, there's no substance to this statement. There's no substance to Biden's ramblings and rants here. Uh, He said as a kind of toss-off remark, well, we're going to free Iran. Look, that was met with derision from Iranian leaders, from their president, Raisi, from Amir Abdullahian, the foreign minister, and rightly so. Why? Because the U.S. is doing absolutely zero to help the protest movement in Iran today. Zero. And it's, a, and it's a disgrace.
1: Well, I do think that sometimes President Biden speaks off the cuff and sometimes it almost seems like foreign policy by gaffe, doesn't it?
5: Uh, it does seem foreign policy by gaffe and it is extremely dangerous. But it's also at times foreign policy by dangerously misguided conceptions, uh, such as we discussed last week with this nuclear posture review that explicitly threatens China with deployed tactical nuclear weapons at uh, bases that we, uh, a joint bases, U.S.-Australian bases in Australia.
1: Well, we'll move from the Middle East there, and let's go to China. And we are definitely China watchers on this program, and you keep us updated there. Stories coming out of this week of a G7 meeting where they are increasingly feeling the need to coordinate their response against what they view are China's goals for the future.
5: This week, Rick, the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz uh, went to Beijing to kiss the ring Of President Xi, now that he has been elected to this unprecedented third term as the supreme leader of the Communist Party. Uh, Germany's biggest trading partner is Communist China. They do about a $250 billion a year business with them. So they are very concerned about maintaining trade ties. And yet, at the same time, like other G7 countries, like the United States, they are beginning to wake up to China's global ambitions, to the aggressivity of the Chinese Communist Party, to the threats that they're making about Taiwan, and to the reality that those threats could, in fact, take place, could transpire, and could become a military conflict. Here's the thing, though. Uh, You have this increasing entwining of the economies of the West and Communist China. Unlike what happened with Russia. The United States did not have a big trading relationship with Russia. The Germans did, and they're suffering for it right now, it being cut off. But all of us have a huge trade relationship with communist China. This makes it much harder to disentangle ourselves should a future conflict arrive. Now, by the way, the Chinese understand that, they Understand that very well, and mm-hmm. so they are trying to push the trade relationship. I, I'm I guarantee you that's what took place in that meeting with uh, Chancellor Schultz and President Xi. Here's the big irony in all of this remember, a number of years ago, Joe Biden on the campaign trail saying, China's not our enemy, give me a break, you know, get real, China's not the enemy. Mm-hmm. Well, nowadays, Biden and his administration are starting to take a much tougher line towards communist China. They are trying to cut off the sale of advanced semiconductor manufacturing technology, which by the way is one of the things that Chinese really, really, really want. And here's the real kicker, Rick. They are waking up to the reality that their old argument that trade with China, with a communist regime, would gradually bring freedom to the Chinese people. That has not happened. It's not about to happen. And it is a real cold shower onto their previous illusions.
1: Well, Ken, my final question, we look at another member from that part of the world, North Korea, and they have been making noise with nuclear tests. Is this just a bunch of smokers, or is there actually a fire here?
5: <laughs> well, it's not. It's not The, the smoke, Rick, is from the contrails of North Korean missiles. (laughs) They have launched something like 23 missiles against South Korea just in the past couple of days, including one that landed really right at the maritime border between the two countries. That's the first time they have uh, launched that kind of attack in many, many, many years. Uh, I listened to former Secretary of State, Pompeo on uh, Friday talking about this and he said that many missiles uh, for North Korea is as many as they launched in a whole year during the Trump administration Mm -hmm. and he warned that they're getting ready for a new nuclear test. Uh, The United States did not succeed in disarming North Korea under Trump although there was a very serious effort to do so but they did keep the North Koreans under check and they did keep this the North Koreans had stopped this kind of provocative missile Launch Uh, Now they're back on track to launch um, uh, missiles and to test nuclear weapons and to game the system. They always want concessions from the United States. And unfortunately, my reading of President Biden is he's probably willing to give it to them.
1: Well, many serious issues and many uh, serious things taking place in the world that are very dangerous. We just need to hope and pray that our leadership is up to the task and continue to be involved in our political process here. Well, Ken, thank you so much for all that you do. We look forward to talking to you again soon.
5: Uh, Thanks so much, Rick. And I would hope and pray that we have new political leadership after Tuesday. (laughs)
1: Well, that certainly could be the case, Ken. Well, we're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the Israeli election with Winky Madad. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio.
4: Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, we've heard from Ken Timmerman and David Dolan, and now we're going to hear from Israel Madad. You know, this last week, Rick, I've been in Jerusalem. Uh, I've been all over the country of Israel, taking our group around. It's been interesting to be here, to read the newspapers every day in the land, uh, to see people from both sides of the story with their conflicts of what's going on, their understanding of what takes place here in the land. And you do hear two sides of the story, the Arab and the Jewish side. And uh, there are those that are concerned about the future. Well, I know today with Israel Madad, he's going to give us an update as to what from his point of view, from the religious point of view. And then in a moment, we'll hear from Dr. Richard Schmidt from a pastor's point of view, a prophecy teacher, a politician, former politician who is a pastor now, but he will give his uh, outlook on what's taking place not only here in Israel, where I am, but in America, Rick, where you are, and where we are getting ready for an election there also. So why don't we go to Israel Madad to find out from his point of view what's taking place here in the land since the elections? Winky Madad joins us. He's our good friend from
1: Israel. He is our political expert there on the ground, and he actually lives in the area that we call Judea and Samaria, but that some in the mainstream media call the West Bank. So, uh, Winky, there's a lot going on in politics this week, so I'm so glad you chose to join us this week.
6: I put myself at your disposal.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Now, a lot going on in Israel nowadays. Last week, we had a pre-election special, and we talked about the upcoming Israeli elections. Well, Winky, they've happened. What are your overall thoughts? I know many people have heard the results, but can you tell us what you think about the results and what you think it means for the the state of Israel?
6: Well, you you know, you never know how to divide an opinion based on analytical objective factors, which I always try to do on the program. But admitting that I do have here and there uh, preferences or even prejudices, which I think I always try to clear up for our audience so they know when they're getting news, analysis, or they're getting views. And I felt for a good couple of months here that things were going Bibi's way, Mr. Netanyahu's way. It was just a question of when the collapse of this government and its parts, both from within and from without, would happen. And uh, we finally had the election results. You know, Rick, there's a, a joke now going on in Israel that the best way to get left wing out of power is to give it them for a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> and they'll make a mess out of everything so that everybody realizes what a mistake they made in putting them in government. P.S. This might be happening in the United States. <laughs> but since I don't live there, I'm not going to make any projections for the next two to, for the next for the next coming election and the next two years, but well we 'll see in any case, the short answer is the left to centrist turncoat right wing in Israel that joined up with the lapid government i 'm not going to say they did everything wrong; they almost did everything wrong, both in their policies, both in their rhetoric both in the way they handled parliamentary democracy and then leading up to the elections when the government fell apart when Bennett resigned and Lapid took over every single party made a mistake versus Netanyahu who worked very hard to make sure his future coalition bloc that is was in the opposition stayed together ran everything as perfectly as possible. He ironed out differences. He yelled at people. He made them come together and brought everything up uh, to uh, the election day as best possible.
1: Well, it looks like the people have spoken, and they have, for better or for worse. And and you can kind of tell me whether you think it's for better or for worse. But they have spoken, and it looks like they have shifted to the right, more of a nationalistic, pro-Israel electorate has come forth here. So tell me, what does this next government that Netanyahu is going to form, what does this mean for what the media might call settlers And and I'd like to ask you this question for maybe a couple different topics that I think are very important to the nation of Israel, and we talk about them all the time. But we'll start off with the quote-unquote settlers. And then when I say settlers, I mean people like yourself. But uh, what does this mean for those people? Because that's an international question.
6: Well, look, uh, I would be the first to admit that Mr. Netanyahu in his previous administrations could have done a lot better. Let me give you just one example. Area C has been targeted by the Palestinian Authority, together with millions of dollars from the EU and a little bit from the United States, for construction and takeover of lands. Now, either you're going to negotiate with us or you're going to take over land. And if you're going to take over land, we should be taking over land or we should be stopping you. This is an immediate issue that could easily be solved. In addition to what we call here in Israel, uh, I'm not sure it works well in English, it's called the Young Settlements. In other words, uh, those that have been set up over the past 10 years, which are basically very, uh, without being uh, pejorative, um, primitive. <laughs> uh, in other words, they have no uh, permanent construction. They're still in early stages of uh facilities and services and stuff of that nature. And uh, those have been taken down all the time by this uh, past government, almost every other week, actually, when they're not doing anything again with the Arabs, or or that uh, so-called Bedouin settlement—settlement, I use the word, of course, the tent uh, encampment—outside of Male Dumim, which the Supreme Court has said should be taken down, and Netanyahu and the other government, Lapid's government, Bennett's government, has not done anything about. So this should be uh, like a, what we once called here, confidence-building measures, CBMs from the United States. That was after one of the peace uh, treaties, not peace treaties, armistice arrangements, I think it was, mm-hmm. that should encourage support and confidence of our communities in Mr. Netanyahu's government. It's an easy thing to do, which he hasn't completely done when he was prime minister. This would be a, uh, shall we say, a litmus test for him in his new current government.
1: Well, it certainly seems like he has a mandate to maybe do just that, to provide more security for the settlers. Well, let's let's continue to talk about, and I'd like to talk about some security issues for Israel, and I'd like to lump two together, and you could comment on them how you'd like. But I'd like to talk about the situation in Iran, and that they present an existential threat, especially if they become a nuclear power but also the Palestinian issue and the continuing peace process, although it seems like the peace process has stalled. But uh, where do you think this new government stands on those two issues?
6: Mr. Netanyahu was very successful politically in dealing with Iran. He did not stop the nuclear program, and he he did not eliminate the threat. Uh, we understand that at least twice he had what began moving to authorize some sort of military strike. And those within his government and the chief of staff and the members of the chief of staff prevented that in democratic ways. But the argument went one way and he gave in. It is obvious to everybody, including even Mr. Biden, who's uh, in I wouldn't say intelligence, but attentiveness sometimes seems to be lost, realizes that there's going to be some sort of need for a conclusive military threat, real or otherwise, in order to get Iran down. Unless we encourage the demonstrators right now in the streets of Iran, uh, who are not only knocking turbans off the head of the mullahs, but seem to be killing police and burning down Police stations, which I saw today on my Telegram accounts. Uh, who knows? Maybe Iran might collapse from within, which would save everybody a lot of trouble. The other issue, uh, if I remember, you see, it was the Palestine issue, uh, what be called the Palestinian mm-hmm. issue. Uh, well, look, Mahmoud Abbas is going to die very soon. And Israel has to get ready for what will happen, the battle for uh, taking his place. Hamas might break out its arms and try to take over. It has nothing to do with Israel. It has everything to do with what the Palestinian Authority will dissolve into, but it has to be obviously taken care of. What Netanyahu did say after, and I think we we talked about it on this program, Lapid spoke at the United Nations. Netanyahu said, look, for 10 years, I took the two-state solution off the agenda, and he puts it back on again. So obviously, uh, he has very strong opinions on what's going to happen with the Palestinian Authority. I saw just recently that uh, Mike Pompeo has congratulated him uh, on his comeback, Mr. Netanyahu. So we might see another version of the Pompeo peace plan, if you remember, with uh, finally pushing the Arabs to accept Israeli sovereignty over part of it. Or if they don't, who knows if it will be over all of
1: it. Well, my final question as far as what does this election mean for is something that we talk about again often, probably more often than anything else, is the status of the city of Jerusalem as a Jewish city and the sovereign capital of a Jewish state, and of course the Temple Mount, what is the holiest spot in the world for the Jewish people, and of course Ben-Gavir, we've talked about him a little bit, and he has made no bones about the fact that the Temple Mount is very important to him and the group of people that he represents. So what do you think this new government would mean for Jerusalem and the Temple Mount?
6: Well, we have actually a test case, which will be interesting to see. I haven't seen any formal reactions. You know, we had this party of Mansour Abbas, an Israeli Arab, who actually... The party originated from the Muslim Brotherhood, Abbas came out on Thursday with a statement saying, if the the government pushes on the Temple Mount, there's going to be a war. Look, that's not the proper way to talk. The proper way to talk is, yes, I realize the Jews have an historic right, uh, a religious right to the Temple Mount, and we should find some way of accommodation. I'm putting words in his mouth, but that's what I'd like to hear. I don't want to hear threats of war because the Arabs have lost every single war they started with Israel for the past 70 years or so. So that's not a smart move to make. That would lessen the tensions. Do I think that tomorrow the temple should be built or even just even a synagogue? I think we could wait a little bit. I, I'm, My personal preference is a gradual, as long as we know what we're going for, full rights of Jews to be up in the Temple Mount, maybe set a special time period, like 9.30 in the morning to 10 o'clock, where Jews can pray in some small corner out of view of the Muslims if they don't like Jews praying up there? Let's see what happens. Uh, But if they want to go full extremist, they should lower the rhetoric about our extremists and look at their own extremism.
1: Well, Winky, as typical, you provide valuable insight for us as listeners. We appreciate your insight into the Israeli political system, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon.
6: Thank you very much for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: Israel Madad, affectionately known as Winky Madad, giving us an insight. Now, I've been here in the land, Rick. You know, it's interesting in my conversations that I've had with people. There are some concerns about extremism, extreme right-wing activism within the government within the next few months as the government is set up. So I thought I would talk to my good friend, Dr. Richard Schmidt. Dr. Richard Schmidt is, uh, if you you listen to the program long enough, you know he's no stranger to us. But if you don't know him, he is a former sheriff Of Milwaukee County in Milwaukee. He's run for office, political office. He's very politically activated in the state uh, and around the United States. Plus, uh, he's a pastor of a church. Dr. Richard Schmidt, my good friend, welcome to the program.
7: Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our time.
0: Yes, and I understand you just wrote a, a new book on globalism. We're going to talk about that at the end of the program. I'm not going to let you get away without talking about that. I wanted to have a conversation with you about the Israeli elections. And you've been here several times. You've been involved and, and uh, have known about the politics for years of what's going on here in the land of Israel, very aware of it. What is your take from your position as a pastor looking at the land of Israel and the political scene here?
7: Well, I'm absolutely thrilled as to what's taking place. I know there's a lot of controversy involved with these elections, but now it appears very strongly, of course, that uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu looks like now he's going to regain that position for the sixth time actually which is an amazing thing in itself <laughs> but what we're seeing though and uh, you've commented on this especially in your last program what is going to be taking place is it appears it's going to be a very very conservative run government in israel going away from what uh Benjamin Netanyahu, basically was more on a moderate position, and now he's coming down and aligning in order to get really the 64 seats, it looks like he's going to get in the Knesset, and he's aligning with those that certainly are way to the right, very ultra-conservative in order to establish his government. So this obviously is going to have some issues with uh, uh, people around the world, including Middle East situation, situations right here in America. Uh, I think we've seen just if we look at our relationships from America and and Israel, if we go back to the Trump administration, of course, very, very pro-Israel. And I, I don't think this would be an issue at all. But now with President Biden, who is much more Moderate in, in his position with Israel. He's come out much stronger, pro Palestinian, pro Arab, pro Middle East, basically from an Islamic standpoint. This certainly could raise some tensions with uh, uh, America as well as the Middle Eastern states and other countries around the world which don't hold to as conservative a position as I think uh, the new prime minister will take.
0: Yes, and uh, everyone here. I mean, when you talk to the man on the street, and I think uh, when you see, if you watch Israeli politics, you certainly you listen to Israel Madad, Dave Dolan, talking about the numbers that came in, who voted, who didn't vote. The Arabs didn't vote, and the religious right did vote in Israel. The uh, and I would say the Jewish religious, not only the Orthodox, but the Hasidic Jew came out in mass for uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu-elect. You said it's amazing. He has served longer than any other man as the Prime Minister of Israel. And I think, uh, should the Lord tarry, he very well could take us right up to the rapture of the church, which you and I both believe could happen any moment. But let me ask you this. As a pastor, how should we view, and, and you know, we, we know churches uh, in the United States kind of have uh, there are those that their eschatology and their theology are very supportive of Israel. There are those that are anti-Semitic in their thought process. As a pastor, how would you encourage, uh, and a, a pastor first, a politician, a prophecy teacher, how should we look at what's happening here as believers?
7: Well, of course, Jimmy, me and you are on the same page when it comes to this we are absolutely 100% convinced, based on God's four major covenants with Israel, unconditional covenants with them, that God absolutely still sees Israel, if you will, as the apple of his eye. Ezekiel 5 5 has not mm. changed, where God made it absolutely specifically clear that Jerusalem has been and always will be uh, the center of his universe and God made it very clear in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 that the Jewish people are God's chosen people and that will never change so the issue here is uh, of course, you mentioned we have what's known as replacements theology, supersessionist theology, which basically has is cast Israel aside and states that the church, uh, made up of believers of Jews and Gentiles, has replaced Israel. Israel. Well, of course, we totally reject that statement. It's based on allegorical and spiritualizing of God's text, which, of course, is something, as literalists, we absolutely can't tolerate. Uh, Dr. Tommy Ice, one of the great uh, uh, dispensational speakers in our generation, has stated that about, unfortunately, 60% of all Christian Mm -hmm. churches have moved away from dispensational teaching, literal interpretive model, and gone to the spiritualizing, and uh, the Church, unfortunately, a great percentage of it, is rejecting Israel. Well, of course, uh, that is totally against what uh, I know that uh, you and I agree on. Uh, The Scriptures absolutely have a place for Israel after the next major event on God's prophetic calendar, which, of course, is the rapture of the Church. Uh, all of the things involving Israel, the Old Testament prophecies, they're still all going to come to fulfillment exactly as stated. So Israel has a key place in God's plan, and as Christians we absolutely must mm-hmm. support them. Now I'll just give one last statement on that. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, and everyone knows the Abrahamic covenant. It's an unconditional covenant God mm-hmm. made with Israel, He specifically stated, and this has never been revoked, that he will bless those who bless Israel, curse those who uh, curse Israel. Jimmy, I prefer to stay on God's good side, if you will, and bless Israel.
0: (laughs) I agree with you, Dr. Schmidt. Dr. Richard Schmidt, uh, pastor, prophecy teacher, former uh, politician and uh, in the political world. Well, let me ask you this: as we continue on, we're thinking about this and the uh, the Christians' position on Israel. Of course, we know that God's not finished with the Jewish people; He made those covenants with them. He's got to fulfill them. There's a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 37. Everybody knows the Ezekiel 37, the vision of the valley of the dry bones. Ezekiel is told to preach to those bones; they come back to life. We've seen that impartial the prophecy being fulfilled i think it will be totally fulfilled in the tribulation period in fact i know it but uh there's a portion of that prophecy in ezekiel 37 beginning at verse 18 where it talks about ezekiel is told to put two sticks in his hand and could this be and i believe it is is prophetic in the future still two states not a jewish and an arab state but with this religious extremism in Israel, could we see two Jewish states come about?
7: Well, of course, scholars and theologians have been debating over exactly what that means for actually hundreds of years. But I think uh, uh, based on what you and I both have looked at from Ezekiel 37, it does certainly indicate that there's going to be a split among the Jewish people actually in Israel. So it's it's very interesting because, of course, you have uh, the ultra-Orthodox Jewish people in Israel, and you have those that are Reformed or conservative or actually really don't much care about uh, the religious position of Israel and are more, if you will, kind of uh, uh, anti-Bible, really don't care that much. So you've got mm-hmm. a tremendous divergence of opinion among of the Jewish nationals. So, and you've talked about this last week where you brought up this very potential concept that, yes, maybe now is setting the stage for that ultra-Orthodox government Mm -hmm. with Benjamin Netanyahu and the other parties that are joining him, the religious Zionists, the Shahs, the United Torah, Judaism, uh, all these parties coming together now and pushing, if you will, a very strong conservative agenda. Well, as we know in even in America when you have conservatives versus uh those that are liberal, it's going to cause a significant division like we have in our country right now in America. So is this indeed setting the stage for the if you will the two sticks of Ezekiel chapter 37? I think uh very possibly this actually could be that event. We don't know for sure, but boy, it sure seems like it could be.
0: Yes, when you see uh, Prime Minister elect Benjamin Netanyahu, Ben Gavir, who we've talked about, Knesset, leader of a right wing religious party, and they're joining together, you certainly see the uh, religious aspect of the country coming together. And there's uh, one section on the left that's anti, really. It becoming religious, and then there's an aspect on the right that wants it to become more religious. In fact, uh, tonight I just finished uh, at the Western Wall listening to those talking about the rebuilding of the future temple, the third temple. We've talked about that a lot on this program. Well, Dr. Schmidt, thank you so much. We have an election in the United States coming up soon. Quickly, could you tell us anything about that that we should be aware of?
7: Well, currently, and this is an absolutely critical election, we have 224 Democrats in Congress, 213 Republicans. Those that hold to a more conservative viewpoint, if they don't get out and vote, if uh, God's people are not out there exercising their right to vote and potentially moving towards a change as to uh, the majority in Congress, we basically are just giving up and i never want to give up we need to keep strong the senate right now 50 republicans 48 democrats two independents again if you're a conservative if you're a conservative christian in all likelihood uh this could be the election that changes exactly what's been taking place give conservative Christians, again, a much more strong voice, but we've got to get out. We've got to vote. What do we have? Issues. Energy dependence right now. Inflation at horrific levels. Trillions of dollars wasted without a control spending. The Iran nuclear deal, lawlessness, all these things, we can have a major effect if God's people will get out there and vote.
0: Excellent, excellent, excellent. And again, uh, we've always given our criteria The sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, and how a politician stands on Israel. Because once you give up on Israel, you turn your back on Israel, that will be the
7: downfall of America. You got a new book out? It's called? Well, it's called Globalism, the Great Consumption of the One World Government, Economy, Mm. and Religion. So basically we have three chapters that deal with prophetic issues specifically from the scriptures on globalism. Then I go into five chapters on some of the major current events right now that are pushing the world towards globalism. So we talk about the World Health Organization, uh, the Economic uh, World Forum, other agencies now that are coming on the scene that America, by the way, is buying into big time to set the stage for globalism is talked about in revelation 13 globalism the great consumption
0: you can find it on amazon go there type in dr richard schmidt or the title of the book globalism the great consumption and get it uh dr schmidt thank you so much i know you're in a conference this weekend in kansas and we'll be praying for you doing some prophecy uh teaching edifying the body of christ thank you again for helping us today giving us a clear understanding of uh, how we should view world events, having a biblical worldview, a prophetic biblical worldview. Also, thank you, Dr. Schmidt, for joining with us today.
7: Well, thanks so much, and uh, thank you for your ministry,
0: folks. We got to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Back to Prophecy Today, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. As I announced at the beginning of the program, I'm in Jerusalem, Israel, as you could probably tell. Just finished up with our group here. We've had a great time here in the land. And I would encourage anyone to go to the land of Israel to see Israel past, Israel present, and Israel future. It's always easy to connect the dots through scripture from Genesis to Revelation when you understand how it all plays out in the land where it all played out. Well, we've been here this week examining political events, but as Rick has always said, the political sets the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. So this week, as we are here, I want to encourage you to come join us sometime here in the land of Israel. Go to our website at prophecytoday.com. Well, our legacy series this week, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung begins a new series. This week we begin a study on the judgment seat of Christ. This is an event in Bible prophecy that not too many prophecy teachers talk about. We're going to discuss during our study the next couple of weeks, the promise of the judgment seat of Christ, the procedure of the judgment seat and the prize that we will receive at the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, The Judgment Seat of Christ actually prepares our wedding garments for our marriage to the Lord and the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Judgment Seat of Christ will take place in the period between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. I must remind you that when we study the book of Revelation, we have to do it chronologically, not numerically. Therefore, as we begin our study today, we will go to the book of Revelation chapter 19. Dr. Jimmy D. Young in our legacy series
8: Take your Bible and go with me to chapter 19 of the book of Revelation Revelation chapter 19 and I want to show you something in chapter 19 uh, That you may have had questions about and I'm talking about the marriage of the body of Christ We that are the bride of Christ Christians to our groom Jesus Christ, chapter 19, and starting in verse 7. And by the way, this is going to be absolute solid evidence that indeed you don't study the book of Revelation numerically you study it chronologically in chapter 4 verse 1 of the book of revelation we see the rapture of the church depicted that's that first event the next event to happen before the seven year period of time then there are 16 chapters of detailed information about that tribulation period that be chapter 4 through 19 chapter 19 and verse 11 we see the return of christ back to the earth chapter 20 verses 1 to 6 we see the thousand year millennial kingdom chapter 20 verses 11 to 15 we see the great white throne judgment in chapters 21 and 22 eternity future new heavens new earth and new jerusalem but if you look at chapter 19 verses 7 8 and 9 we see a very important event that's going to happen right after the rapture of the church here it is. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb. And so we see here what is going to be the process for that marriage and then the celebration of the marriage. I must remind you that this is following the pattern of a Jewish marriage. There are three parts to a Jewish marriage. There's the engagement period, there's the ceremony, and then there's the celebration. The engagement comes about when the father of the bride-to-be and the father of the groom-to-be get together with these two young people. The fathers then make a decision whether they can be married. At that point in time, the father of the groom says, son, I want you to come back to the house. Your mother and I have decided we're going to allow you to build an apartment on our house. This will be very, I think, economical for you. You'll not have to buy the land. We'll help you pay for the materials and we'll help you build. But I want you to come back to the house. I want you to build this apartment. Then you can come and marry your bride. And then the father of the bride-to-be says, Now, honey, you come on home with me while your groom-to-be has gone to build your place where you're going to live together. You will get your garments ready for that wedding time and the ceremony. The groom-to-be goes back to his father's house and he starts building his apartment. When he gets it finished, he's going to go to marry this bride-to-be. By the way, he does not make the decision when the apartment is finished. His father makes that decision if it would be up to him he would go back put up a lean to and go get that bride but he goes back and he builds this apartment after the apartment is finished his father says you can go get your bride and be married have the ceremony he calls his best man and his best man will then walk through the streets and i've seen this happen in the old city of jerusalem he will walk through the streets of the area in the neighborhood where the bride to be is living and he will shout behold The bridegroom cometh. And that day they all go over that evening to meet at the house of the bride-to-be. The rabbi's there, the families are there, and they have the ceremony. Once the ceremony is completed, the bride and the groom, now husband and wife, go into a secret secluded location. Once that is done, the groom steps out and says, the marriage has been consummated let the party begin and for seven days they party and that's the celebration it's unbelievable i've been to one of those days i was on the fifth day i came into this gathering hall where they were having a party it was going wild and uh, so i was invited by the two rabbis who were the fathers of the groom and the bride and the new groom to come join him in a foursome in a folk dance i tell you those israeli folk dances will kill you about two minutes in i was having cardiac arrest And so I flipped my K-pop off. Oh, I said, I dropped my K-pop. I'll be right back, guys. Never did come back because I wasn't going to die at that celebration. Now, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that uh, there's a long time celebration. Seven days is what it is. If you've ever read the first miracle there in John chapter two, you realize that Jesus and his disciples arrived on the third day of the seven day celebration. And at the end of the seven day celebration, they come together and uh, the groom presents his dear wife as his wife now. And then they go into their existence, going back to their apartment that he has built. That's exactly what's going on. We have two parts of the marriage operation right here, the ceremony and the celebration. The first part was when Jesus in the upper room said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now listen, in my Father's house are many mansions. For when I saw, I would told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I shall come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. We're engaged to Jesus Christ. The shout is almost to be heard. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And when he shouts and we go up, Soon after that, we will be married to Jesus Christ. But there's something before that marriage ceremony that takes place. That something is the judgment seat of Christ, where you and I will stand to have the finishing work done on our wedding garment to be married to Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of Christ happens after the rapture of the church let me show you the promise for the judgment seat of christ go to the book of romans the book of romans chapter 14 romans chapter 14 lays out for us the fact and the promise of the judgment seat of christ romans chapter 14 and look with me here in romans chapter 14 and verse 10 well start up here in verse 8 For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. And whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to me. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Apostle Paul writing to the Romans said, hey, why are you judging each other? every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of christ second corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 says the exact same thing we shall all stand before the judgment seat of christ to give account of all that we did good and all that was bad that we might have done there is a promise in god's word that we will stand before the judgment seat of christ and this is a part of the process being able to be married to jesus christ for a rest of eternity this is a part of the process because it is going to prepare our garments I'll show you that in a moment go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 not only is there a promise but there is a procedure that will be followed in the judgment seat of Christ and this will take place after the rapture of the church but after the rapture of the church there's going to be a period of time that period of time will have three events that must take place first of all Daniel chapter 7 verse 7 goes into play and that is the 10 horns that appear on that last of the Gentile world powers that was in place at the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, that is the Roman Empire. The 10 horns, as defined in Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 and 24, will be a revival of that Roman Empire. It will have the same characteristics of the old Roman Empire, but it will be the revived Roman Empire, and it comes into place after the rapture of the church. I believe the Roman Empire is about to be revived. I believe the infrastructure for that happens to be the European Union. Not enough time this morning to go into that. But I believe that the revived Roman Empire is on the horizon. In fact, the European Union has already called itself the Empire. And everything they're doing with a common currency with a legislative body with the purpose of putting a military operation into place with world control it's moving into position even as we speak so the revived roman empire must come into existence the second thing is daniel chapter 7 and verse 8 the little horn has to come out of the tin horn that word little horn is one of 27 names for the title of the antichrist and so the antichrist christ has to come to power coming out of the revived roman empire the third thing that has to happen to start the clock ticking on the seven-year tribulation period will be the confirmation of a peace treaty daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 and he the antichrist shall confirm a covenant a peace treaty with many the jewish people and her neighbors who are their enemies With many for one week and that starts the clock ticking when that confirmation of that peace treaty is made that starts the clock ticking on the seven-year tribulation period and so indeed those three things have to happen the revived Roman Empire the appearance of the Antichrist and the confirmation of a peace treaty how long will that take nobody knows the Bible is silent on it it will take a period of time in the heavenlies that's when the judgment seat of Christ will be taking place. After the rapture of the church, three things must happen. The revived Roman Empire will come into place, and out of this Gentile world power, the Antichrist will appear. Then the Antichrist, the false messiah of the Jewish people, will confirm a peace agreement between the Jews and their enemies, the Arab and Islamic world. The stage is set for all three of these events to be fulfilled. It's during the time after the rapture and the peace treaty confirmation, however long that period will be, that the judgment seat of Christ will take place. Therefore, the judgment seat of Christ A key component in the end-of-time scenario that can be found in God's Word is about to come to pass as well. The Judgment Seat of Christ
0: is promised in God's Word. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. You know, that's why we do this program, to keep you aware of those next three events, how close that we are to those events to come to fruition. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today weekend.
3: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Massive protests continue across Iran. Isolated Iranian Christians are wondering how to react. The regime in power severely curtails human rights in the country, especially for women. Many protesters have begun calling for the death of those in power, but Joe Willie says Sat7 Pars recently addressed this dilemma. Iranian pastors said Christians can promote both love and justice, so pray the love of Iranian believers would reveal Jesus. And in the United States, many people think of reading as the best way to learn, but globally, roughly two-thirds of people prefer to learn some other way than reading. Ed Weaver with Spoken Worldwide gives an example from Lebanon. One ministry worker noticed that teens didn't complete Bible reading assignments. When he switched to audio scripture, they learned much more. So pray ministry leaders around the world would understand the need for orality learning. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer.
4: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general, and specifically the last seven U.S. Presidents, to set the stage for Bible Prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C., and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. On today's program, this post-election program, uh, I'm here in Israel still getting the program done today, producing it before I leave to head back to the States, but Rick, it was a very interesting time being here in the land talking to people about the election results. That's right, Jimmy. And the election
1: results uh, are very important as you look at the, the history of the state of Israel. These are very momentous election results. And uh, and uh, um, we talked about it this whole program, uh, quote unquote, shift to the right. But a very religious government, more religious than any government has uh, ever been formed in Israel. So that's significant. And we also talk about all the time on this program, the political sets the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled this political event, these elections in Israel, probably does that as well, or is probably as good of an example of that that we have seen recently. And and I'm talking about Ezekiel 37
0: and the two sticks, Jimmy. Could you go ahead and explain that for the listeners? Yeah, let me, uh, and I I wanted to bring something up, Rick, before we talk about that. You know, when uh, here in the land, as you talk to people, there's an uncertainty, because I think when you look, first of all, last week, we talked about almost the country was split down the middle you had one side of the country wanting to lean left and be involved with becoming a modern nation as we would uh, look at modern nations and you have the right side of the country that is also looking at bringing this nation um, back to a theocracy which we know that's not going to happen until the future when jesus christ comes back returns to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem, to the city of Jerusalem, mentioned in Zechariah chapter 14, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Jesus talked about it, uh, the events that would be taking place on the earth in Matthew chapter 24 as to the return to the city of Jerusalem where he would set up a theocracy. So we know that that's not going to take place. But I do think it's important to realize you have people here that are fearful of a very right-wing drift, religious right-wing drift in the land. And I think that does set up perfectly for us to take a look at the prophecy of the two Jewish nations. Before the rapture of the church, Rick, all 12 tribes will be in the land. When the rapture of the church takes place, all 12 tribes are in the land. Then they will become two different Jewish states. That's what the prophecy of the two sticks in Ezekiel chapter 37 talk about those two different Jewish states Israel and Judah when do they come back together well let's see what the Lord says to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 21 they were going to ask Ezekiel when this will happen when these two sticks were in his hand here's what God said to tell them Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. We're talking about uh, the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, the first part of Ezekiel chapter 37, and then the nation splitting. And I think these two nations represent Israel and Judah. Israel being that liberal left-leaning portion of the state of Israel, Judah representing that right wing, the religious, uh, really extremism in the land. But that's okay because what they want to do is they want everyone to observe the Sabbath, to keep kosher laws, to rebuild the temple, to regather the Jewish people to the land of Israel. Really, those Rick, are the four things that we keep our eyes on as a prophecy ministry Aliyah, the return of the Jewish people to the land, the anticipation for peace the arrangements for the temple, the alignment of the nations. Those are the four things that we keep our eyes on. And that's really what the Jewish people are looking for today. Two of those, returning the people to the land of Israel and rebuilding the temple. And I think when you see this, we've talked about it with Israel Madad, We've talked about it with David Dolan. We're seeing certainly this um, really, what would you say, Rick, as it's being split? Kind of these two states coming together. Uh, two Jewish states getting ready to split off, one that would be super religious and one that would be like, hey, we just want to be like the rest of the world. Well, Jimmy, I mean, polarization
1: and division seems to be uh, the name of the game now in politics, uh, not only in Israel, but uh, here in the United States as well. But if you look at it in Israel, it just certainly does seem like it is setting up perfectly for that end time scenario to come forth. You have these two different sides. You have the two different viewpoints, and they are very different. Um, And uh, they certainly seem to be falling in line with what
0: Scripture says is going to happen. And we know that it's a future event. I know, as Dr. Richmond said, it's controversial. People have tried to decide when this would take place. I believe it takes place during the tribulation period. Well, we know that that's when the temple will be built, rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem. They're preparing for that now. I mean, Rick, you know as well as I do when we're here, we're talking, we go to the Temple Institute, we see all the items that have been prepared for our future temple. They're preparing to build that temple here. There are a lot of things that are happening in the land, and I think this is just one more to show us how close. That we are to the rapture of the church, because I believe that has to happen first because there are no other prophecies to be fulfilled before that takes place. And Rick, you know, as we're here, we're seeing these things. I I like the fact and people have encouraged us to keep doing this because it helps them to understand the times in which we're living. It helps them to understand the times in which we're living, but it also gives
1: us a sense of urgency, doesn't it? Because you just laid out the timeline and what you're saying uh, is going to take place is going to happen during the tribulation. And it looks like it's ready
0: to happen tomorrow. Yeah, I can't believe it. Again, you know, it might not happen for another 20 years. I don't think so, Rick. You don't think so. We live our lives. We do this program. We help people to understand bible prophecy and by doing that to understand i like what you said to understand the urgency of the hour in which we are living rick thanks so much for doing the hard work with david dolan israel madad ken Timmerman, dr richard Schmidt was here today with us and the legacy series was was fantastic because right after the rapture of the church the very first thing that we do we are ushered into the heavens Mm to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what Dr. Jimmy DeYoung talked about today. Those things, all of that anticipation of a rapture that could happen at any moment and the next event for us to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ helps us to live a pure and productive life in an unholy world. Let's keep looking up until...